1: ESPN's Mike Golick Jr. joining us now. Mike, welcome in, man. How are you? I'm doing good, Justin. How are you doing, man? Good. We were just talking. I said, look, we had Tim Kirchin on last week, and uh, this was a much smoother transition than with Tim last week. man. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know what? I-, I give Tim a ton of credit. Tim is maybe one of the most dedicated analysts we have covering any sport at the network, but he openly admits he does that all at the expense of learning about anything else, pop culture, history, and definitely technology. No, in fact, we were laughing because I asked him, I said, so if there is baseball in 2020, are you going to be, like,
1: going to the games or will you have to be doing it from home? I mean, as you know, most bowl games or some bowl games are done remotely where the broadcasters are doing it from studio or or from their own home. And
0: and he kind of looked at me like, oh, I haven't really thought about that. So that is something that he might have to adjust to as well. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of imagine it was news to him when he was joining one of the KBO broadcasts and realizing that Eduardo Perez and those guys weren't actually in South Korea.
1: Aye, aye, aye. All right, so we have ESPN's Mike Golick Jr. with us here on 1410 ESPN Radio's 1410 Wing Live. With that being said, so much uncertainty going on. We'll talk college football in a moment, but I was just watching uh, at least parts of the, the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Man, that that is, it's unreal watching that. I mean, we all know how great Michael Jordan is, but as if we needed something else to tell us how great he is, there isn't an athlete out there that would have more of an impact in a documentary series like this than Michael Jordan.
0: No, and and it's amazing the 30 for 30 series I think has always kind of prompted everyone to sort of look in real time at what we're going to get because we know how it started and, and some of the great teams that we got to hear about in the past, the U, all these different squads and I think the one that obviously came naturally after this was going to be, all right, when they eventually do LeBron 10, 15, 20 years from now. And that story, because it's so different from Michael's in so many ways along the way, but to, to learn and get more insight, not only about Jordan from the other people that were a part of that, but for me as a 30-year-old, to just get a refresher course in an era in basketball that I was certainly alive for, but maybe not nearly as conscious of.
1: ESPN's Mike Gulley Jr. with us here on 1410 Wing Live. Yeah, and it's interesting. What were your, like, we all know so much about the Michael Jordan career anyways, but I'm curious your thoughts on what were some key takeaways from it that you didn't know? For me, for instance, the Steve Kerr storyline with his father, I had no idea. There were a lot of moments where I was, like, kind of jaw open during the show. That was one of them. I had no idea about Steve Kerr and the unfortunate, you know, killing of his father.
0: Yeah, and an incredibly heartbreaking story and certainly a connection that most people didn't really realize that Michael and Steve shared together. I think part of the reason why Steve attributes, you know, Michael's ability to really be able to rely on Steve outside of just the work ethic that endeared him there. But I think so much surrounding Scottie Pippen, you know, for me, again, to, to age myself So much of the way Scottie Pippen is billed to people my age, and I've checked this with others, is, you know, another top 50 player all time, a guy who, had he not been with Michael Jordan, would have been the star on his own team and got that chance later on after this. But to see that 1.8 seconds, like Scotty Pippen taking himself out of a playoff game, a meaningful moment where, you know, Michael was no longer on the team. This was the year he got to be the leader. This was the year he got to try and show everybody. And because his number wasn't called in a pivotal moment, he pulls himself out, the cardinal sin of any athlete ever. And I was just amazed at how little that's a part of the narrative for Scotty Pippen and the way he was built most of my life outside of the city of Chicago. Yeah, Phil Jackson was another takeaway
1: from this because it's easy to look at a coach like that and say, well, you coach Shaq and Kobe, you coach MJ Pippen. No wonder you have as many rings as you do. But you learn so much. Like for instance, that Pippen storyline right there—the egos that you're having to manage. Michael Jordan wasn't just a great player. I mean, he was a he was a walking singular version of the Beatles that that Coach Jackson had to, to manage. Uh, you look at obviously Dennis Rodman. I mean, having to deal with his quirky personality, literally letting him leave for a couple of days to go just get what he needs to out of his system. Phil Jackson managed those egos. And there's really not a coach out there. I mean, you saw there are coaches that won with the Bulls, that won with MJ, but they were missing that extra step. And then that's where Phil Jackson came in. And he's what tied in the Lakers, what tied in the Bulls. To me, Phil Jackson was a huge takeaway from that, too. I think people realized we knew he was a great coach. The rings don't lie. But seeing him, how he pulled the strings behind the scenes was a definite eye opener
0: for me. Yeah, knowing where to push and pull for him was interesting, but I think also what he dealt with on the other end, right? Management in the form of Jerry Krause, who is certainly painted as the villain in a lot of this and maybe not given enough credit for constructing so many of those teams, but we know full well that eventually it turned to resent. It turned to Jerry looking at Phil Jackson, who he had in his mind, I'm sure, plucked from obscurity and brought up to this role at his own notion and then now watched him and others take a lot of that credit phil was also dealing with that from the other side of management that wasn't quite content in giving him the financial indication of how successful he was that he felt he probably deserved in his mind and ultimately as we know is kind of the the starting point for this whole thing creating the idea of the last dance telling phil that basically you would go 82 and 0 and we're not going to have you back something that to try and think about that in terms of modern sports, and especially the modern NBA, of someone in the front office going against the wishes of the best player on the team, let alone the best player in basketball at the time, seems so far-fetched that having a coach have to deal with that seems like nothing we could ever picture.
1: Right, well the last dance it was the last episode last night with that being said let's move on to what everyone's talking about of course is well what's next not not the last dance but what's next now at this point college football you played you know college football obviously you played at notre dame what's your gut telling you obviously everyone wants there to be a college football season i hate to be you know the debbie downer of everything i just feel like there's way too many loopholes to jump through at this point what's your
0: gut telling you how confident are you in a
1: 2020 college football season
0: I'm very confident it'll exist in some form because all of this is driven by money. And I think a lot of these schools are facing that realization now as we see certain programs have to slash certain sports. Others realizing how financially dependent they've been on football. And I don't know if they haven't noticed or maybe haven't wanted to admit it to themselves in the past. But now that the stark reality has come that, all right, we went without March Madness and now... We might have to face the potential of going without college football. We see that it's looking. Some of these programs are thinking we might have to shutter certain aspects if we don't have it. So the money is going to drive them to find some creative solution. What that looks like without fans, the season pushed back, maybe having to only be interconference play. All of these things are on the table. But in my mind, it's going to happen because the powers that be are going to be desperate for it to happen, even if it makes us all cringe a little bit at the potential safety risks that come with it.
1: Now, your old school, Notre Dame, I'm curious, what's at stake for them? Because, I mean, you guys talk about it all the time. But when you're not in a conference, I'm not a big fan of the NCAA's handling of, and maybe there's no, other, they don't have another choice, of basically Mark Emmert saying, hey, yeah, if there's students on campus, you can have class. If not, then no. But it's very deflective. I feel like he's putting it all on the presidents of the universities. With that being said, Notre Dame being an independent program, how much more stress is on a program like that or a BYU or, or some of the other independent programs versus in Ohio State or in Alabama, who all, fall, who all fall under a governing conference?
0: Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting, and thankfully Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame's athletic director, has been so integral in the college football playoff expansion. A lot of the big movements in college football, he has a stake in, and Notre Dame has a stake in. And where they have the advantage, certainly over, unfortunately, BYU and Army and some of the other independents, Notre Dame does have that tacit affiliation to the ACC, one that's very real for the other sports. Where they play five ACC teams a year so you would already in theory have that baked into the schedule and then Notre Dame has these long-standing national rivalries that are built into it and I think the advantage of some is geographically they make sense. We know that's going to be a part of this. And when you look at Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, a lot of these teams Midwest situated around South Bend that Notre Dame regularly plays and usually has deals with that come into and in factor into a lot of this. I think they're already probably working on ensuring this is a backup and I think would find a pretty easy time in making themselves a part of whatever plan goes forward. They've always kind of been able to keep that foothold of theirs in college football despite the lack of a conference affiliation
1: if you were still playing and you're a student athlete what are your questions you have like not you know not about other conferences not about other you know schools or programs but for you if you're concerned about your safety if you are a d1 college athlete or any college athlete that might be put in a position to choose whether to play or not i mean would you have any concerns i mean i know you're going to be concerned about what's out there but would that make you you know skeptical enough to say maybe it's not worth playing in
0: 2020. I doubt it, because when I was in college, I was pretty dumb, and I thought I was pretty invincible. Like I I, I had that same sort of syndrome that most of us had back then, which is you're at the height of your physical ability. You've been efforting to be this your whole life, to go and play big-time college football at one of these institutions. And so I, I hope I would have had the courage and wherewithal to ask questions back then, but I have a feeling I would have been chomping at the bit the way we see a lot of athletes, and especially in college. It's why I put so much of the burden on... You know schools the administrators the athletic directors to work in the best interest if we're going to keep this college football and college sports situation as it is meaning no one's getting paid you're going off the idea that an education and providing a scholarship is enough then your job as those institutions are to look out for these people that you have a tremendous amount of power over and make the adult decision in the room because you know, like a lot of things, like we see with injuries and concussion, what's the what's the revelation we've had? you got to take athletes' helmets away from them sometimes when it's not safe for them to go out there because our mentality is always to go, go, go. With college sports, I think that runs doubly so, and so the adults in the room have to kind of do a very difficult thing, act in something that might not be financially incentivized for them and make sure we're going above and beyond to make this environment as safe as it can be for a group of kids that's already going to be difficult to control because it's college. It's a college campus that's attached to this, not just a professional team with a lot fewer bodies and responsibilities. Golik and Wingo,
1: Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And, of course, it's not just Mike Golick and Trey Wingo. It's Mike Golick, Mike Golik Jr., and Trey Wingo. What's that like? I mean, I'm sure you get this all the time. I mean, real hard-hitting question here. But working with your dad, I mean, it has to be something special. Doing what you do is an amazing job to begin with. But then when you get to work alongside your father, I'm sure that just enhances everything
0: you're doing. Yeah, now add on the fact that because, ever, like everyone else, what's going on with the coronavirus. We are all working in very different conditions. I do a show with my dad in his basement, the basement in the house that I grew up in right now. My mom is usually not far away. She's been quarantined with us. And so it's created a definitely interesting element there of being really familiar for all of us. And I think that's always the coolest part about it is there's nowhere that I can't go with my dad and vice versa, and, and it's not to it's not to say that we can't have that fun with Trey as well, but this goes for any host that we had. My dad worked with Green, Mike Greenberg for 18 years, and they still would never know as much about each other and what they can do as me and my dad do. So it's a ton of fun to be able to do a show like that, and now we get to do it in the basement with our pugs hanging out with us. <laughs> hey, so I'm seeing like other network
1: shows return back to studio. And if you can't reveal it, that's fine. But has ESPN been in contact with you guys at all about when you can expect to return? Or are things just comfortable as is right now still getting the job done?
0: yeah no communication at this point on anything like that and so we're we're sort of that old athlete mentality of all right especially me and dad once we get the orders we were o and d linemen, so once you tell us what the game plan is we're going to just go out there and try and execute and so until we hear otherwise we're going to keep trying to execute in the basement usually wearing sweatpants shorts and house slippers all right now you work with jason fitz as well obviously and um you guys do a social media show like this as well are you guys on tonight we are. We're on. So, uh, Jason and I do Monday Night Party. We uh, ESPN, because of the lack of normal sports programming during the week, has been re-airing old Monday Night Football games, Major League Baseball games, college football games, things like that. We are the fortunate ones to get to hang out with Monday Night Football and get everyone ready for that. So this week, I believe we've got the uh, 2018 appearance of Patrick Mahomes on the field for the first time and everything that he became as a starter going into that year that would eventually become his MVP season. So pretty excited for that one, but it's uh, it's a ton of fun hanging out with Fitzy. And usually his wife is doing a Zumba class in the background during our show, so it always makes it interesting. (laughs)
1: Well, there you go. All right, DSPN's Mike Golick, Jr., good enough to join us here on 1410 Wing Live, presented by Arrowhead Tax Service. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Much appreciated. Take care. Be safe. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.